Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Matthew 1, verse 16, and Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, thank you all so much for joining us today. So good to have so many of you, uh, especially on World Cup Final Sunday. <laughs> I know you're all thinking it, and it's okay. I'm trying really hard to not pay attention to the scores or be distracted. Jesus sees your sacrifice today, by the way. So uh, if you've been with us over the course of uh, this se- uh, season, this Advent season, we've been in a series called The Matriarchs, where we have been looking at uh, the stories of the women in the line of Jesus. Uh, we started in week one looking at Sarah. Last week, uh, we looked at Bathsheba. Uh, and these, uh, through these women, through their stories, what we've gotten to see is we've gotten to see the, the nature of God's subversive work amongst humanity. We've seen his character, his justice, his compassion, his grace, his mercy uh, through their stories. In their stories, we've seen uh, the longing that they've possessed, a longing that we too possess for redemption and restoration. Uh, We have seen uh, his commitment, God's commitment to raising up the lowly and the downtrodden. Uh, We have seen how he is committed to uh, seeing the unseen, loving the unloved, remembering and embracing the forgotten. And we have seen him to be a God who upends our expectations and assumptions about who is to be exalted, about what it is that his kingdom uh, accomplishes when it comes to bear. And today, in our final sermon, we're going to briefly take a look at this last woman in the line of Jesus, of course, his mother, Mary. And in particular, I want to look at the song of praise found in uh, Luke, um, that Luke records of Mary. It's known as the Magnificat. It's a song, that, uh, a praise that uh, reveals to us the, the culminating effects of Jesus' line. Uh, as we look at this song, what we're going to see is it's as though Mary is reflecting the experiences of all the women that have come before, Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. It's almost as if this song she sings on behalf of all of those who have come before her. And because this song is a song that she is singing in response to the news of this long-awaited Redeemer, the one promised to Abraham, the the one who will now come from her womb, this also means that there's a lot that we can learn about the Redeemer and what he has come to accomplish through her song. So who was Mary? Let's begin there. 
uh, like many in the, the, of the women in the line of Jesus, uh, Mary was someone who, honestly, we might not have thought much of. Uh, she would have been a teenager, uh, poor, engaged, but not married. Uh, and that's uh, also consequentially, she would have been from Galilee. Now, that detail about her being from Galilee should not be an overlooked detail. It really shouldn't be uh, for many in Judah, particularly in Jerusalem. Galilee was uh, significantly looked down upon. All right, it was the hood in many ways. The, 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 the elites would have despised Galilee, thought little of it. You can see the history uh, of Galilee. Back in Second um, uh, Kings 15, uh, you can see how they had become a, a mixed people similar to the Samaritans, uh, and would have been despised for being perceived as uh, mixed. They would have been thought of less than. They weren't of pure descent. Uh, they were viewed as uneducated, as those prone to being troublemakers who regularly partook in protests and uprisings uh, against Rome. If you remember in John uh, 1, Nathaniel uh, makes the statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Galilee was the hood. And remarkably significant is this is from where Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes. It's an important detail in her story because when God seeks a woman to bring forth the coming Redeemer, he doesn't go to Jerusalem. Instead, he doesn't, he doesn't go to the well-educated, the affluent, the respectable, the elite. He goes to Galilee. To bring forth the Redeemer of the world, God goes to the hood. And more, he goes to this unmarried woman and says, you shall become pregnant, not through sexual means, but by the power of the Spirit. And I bring all that context up because in 2022, an unwed pregnant teenager who is not pregnant by her husband or even her fiance, who is from the hood, would carry significant social stigma, even now. For, for Mary at her time, as you can imagine, that stigma though, would have been severe. And I want us to sit with that context, the weight of that context, for a minute. Because unfortunately, I think too quickly we can sentimentalize the, the details of the Christmas story. A poor virgin Mary who was chosen by God for her righteousness, all of which is true. But don't miss that by every typical societal measure, she would have been despised, looked down upon. If she was lucky, she would have been ignored, but more likely she would have been chided and shamed. And if we are honest and realistic, we might assume that we're far more open-minded than to look upon a girl like this. We would never look upon her the way that those in Jerusalem might have looked upon her. But I think if that's the case, I think if we believe ourselves to be more evolved, I think we give ourselves way too much credit. I think, like those of her time, we too would have had this internal and maybe external disgust or disdain for her. And this again, is the context into which Jesus is born. In every story of the mothers of Jesus, we have seen a shame-filled woman, uncertain about her future, abused and rejected by the standards of those that are around her. They have all, all, all of these women have been at the bottom of the list of those that we would have assumed to bring forth the Redeemer. Plus, I can't get into this fully now, but this song of Mary, it's actually very reflective of another song uh, sung by Hannah in the Old Testament. You can read about that in uh, 1 Samuel. After years of, of painful uh, infertility, 
Hannah gives birth to the prophet uh, Samuel, if you remember that story. And in her gratitude, Hannah, she sings a song, a song that Mary would echo many years later. But I note this because not only would Mary have been societally on the margins, but in addition, if you've been with us, you know this to be true over the course of of the uh, the narrative of of, um, Jesus's line. Many of the women in Jesus's line, we see having these very unlikely, unexpected births. In the past, the line continued through those uh, who resigned themselves to never having children, assuming that it was likely impossible. But now Mary, carrying on that lineage, is the one for whom a child was not only unlikely, but it was literally impossible. We've seen God work amongst the downtrodden and the shamed, and he almost always does so miraculously. Uh, In his commentary on uh, the book of Luke, church historian uh, Justo Gonzalez, he says this about Mary's song. It's a little bit of an extended quote, but I want to read it to you because I think it's helpful in this, with the context. He said this. He said, since it is based on Hannah's song, that's Mary's song, it too is a song of vindication. Hannah saw in her act of conceiving as a divine vindication of her sorrow and humiliation. Mary sees in her own act of conceiving and in the child who is to be born out of that act a sign of the way in which God works. Her song is not like many of the songs of today proclaiming how great God is. It is a hard-hitting proclamation of how God overturns the common order of society. Mary begins by declaring how God has done this in her. He has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant, she says. And as a result, all generations will call me blessed. But in this, again, what is happening to Mary is a sign of how God works in history. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent away the rich empty. In placing these words on Mary's lips, Luke is letting us know that the story that he is about to tell is a culmination of the history of Israel, and that this history, and certainly its culmination, is of a great reversal in which the lowly are made high, the high are brought low, the hungry are filled with good things, while the rich are sent away empty, the last become first, and the least become greatest. This is the story of Mary. This is the story of her song. And up until this point, In the biblical story, we have seen glimpses of what uh, Gonzalez calls the great reversal. But now in Mary's story and her giving birth to Jesus, we see the culmination of all that was longed for by those that have come before. The Redeemer, the, the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of all of God's promises, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is given to a poor, unmarried woman from Galilee. And while we we can't get into this fully now, Jesus is also raised by that woman in Galilee. It's important to note that this is not some rags-to-riches story. Jesus isn't born in Galilee and then uh, comes uh, into his fullness in Jerusalem, but rather he's raised up in Galilee. This is a story of a marginalized woman amongst marginalized people who raises her son amongst those marginalized people until one day his ministry would lead him to the cross— a death reserved only for the marginalized. That's 
the God for whom Mary sings. That's the God we celebrate today. And my friends, I want us to know and hear and understand that this is why we have great hope in Christmas. The hope and the meaning of Christmas is rooted in this story. Now, I, I don't want to be that guy who poo-poos on the commercialization and sentimentality of Christmas, but allow me to be that guy for a minute. And I want to first just say, I love Christmas, and I love the emphasis that we have on, on family and friends and gifts and feasting. But I also want to say that when those become the central message of the holiday, Christmas is robbed of its essence, which is a savior at the margins. I mean, hear me, if you want to experience the true joy and hope of Christmas, it is not to be primarily found amongst the joys of family, but instead amongst the fatherless, the widow, and the barren. If you want to experience the, the true joy and hope of Christmas, it's not primarily found in the feasting, but rather amongst the hungry. The true hope and joy of Christmas is not primarily found amongst the gifts and the celebrations, but amongst the poor and the forgotten. The hope of Christmas is for the lowly, the forgotten, the unloved, the unseen. And the reason the true hope of Christmas is found there is because that's where Jesus is most present. For all of us, when we realize that Jesus is all we have, we then realize that Jesus is all we've ever needed. And while the blessings of life ought to lead us to praise, too often I fear they become opportunities for our self-righteous assumptions that we deserve and have earned what we have. And the truth is, we haven't. Because when we realize that we have nothing of ultimate value, Mary's song becomes our song. And the mothers of Jesus, Mary in particular, emphasize that our Savior is intimately with those who realize they have nothing of ultimate value but him. I mean, Sarah was an elderly and barren woman. Rebecca was a foreigner far from her home. Leah was an unloved wife of a selfish husband. Tamar was a forgotten woman who sold her body to survive. Rahab was a, a, a prostitute from a people who were under God's judgment. Ruth was a widow and an immigrant with no hopes of survival. Bathsheba was prey of a predatory king who murdered her husband. And Mary was an unwed woman from Galilee. These are the mothers of Jesus. And those are the people who can most identify with Mary's song, a song that proclaims, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? For the mighty one has done great things in me. And so for a moment, I want to speak to those who experience this holiday as one, as a difficult holiday. I want you, as you enter into this season, one that has probably already been hard, because for various reasons, you might not be able to fully enjoy family or friends or gifts or feasting that so often mark this time of year. I want you to know that you are still able to experience the true joy of this season because the true joy of this season is Jesus, the king who lifts the head of the lowly, 
and the downtrodden, who understands the plights of the poor and the marginalized, the forgotten, the unloved, and the unseen. But for all of us, I don't want you to hear me say that we shouldn't find joy in all the season's celebrations. I will be doing so as well. But also remember that the gifts we exchange are dim reflections of the treasure of heaven who welcomes those who humbly come with empty hands. Remember that the feasting is a dim reflection of the bread of life who satisfies the hunger of those who trust him. Remember our families are dim reflections of the family of God who will one day gather around the throne to sing his praises. Remember that our friends are dim reflections of the true friend who calls us friends and lays his life down for us. This is Christmas. So come with humility and see how God in Christ exalts us. Come with empty hands and see how God in Christ fills those hands. Come in brokenness and see how God in Christ restores. And like Mary, may our song be, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of his humble servant. I pray that this becomes our song, that we see that once Jesus is all we need, he's all we've ever truly needed. May this season fix our eyes upon the God who sees us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the kindness of your mercy. God, we thank you that you see us in our most humble estate. God, we thank you that you are a God who lifts the head of the downtrodden, sees the unseen, loves the unloved, and that it's this that's the hope of Christmas. Help us to enjoy the things that you have blessed us with in this holiday season. But by your spirit, would you also remind us that not a single one of them is the true joy of, of Christmas, but rather it's our Savior, the Redeemer of the world, who is our true joy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.